Hey, we're in John chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 3 today. And just before, before we jump into the Word, I just want to say thank God that we don't live in a dictatorship, yes. right? I mean, we have an amazing country, and um, I want to remind you that we're praying for a great awakening. Oh, uh, remember Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, that God would uh, awaken those who are sleeping, that they would arise from the dead, and Christ would give them light. Uh, so it's a great moment, not just to be praying that for Tijuana, but we need to be praying that for the United States of America. Uh, and you guys know the strong conviction that we have that uh, we don't keep our Christianity to ourselves like we're influencers. We're going to talk about it today. Um, we do believe that our relationship with God should influence every part of our, our life. Uh, and so just as we're looking forward to this election season, I want to really encourage you to take the blessing and the privilege that we have been given to be able to uh, elect our representatives, to get engaged, to make sure you're voting, to have your Bible open, uh, to be led by God. If you don't vote, then you can't complain. That's the rule that we operate by here. Uh, and then let's just be praying that God would do uh, just a mighty work, right? Because that's what God does. He's, he's faithful and he's good. So just wanted, to, just wanted to give you an encouragement with that today. We're in John chapter 3 today, verse 22. Let's all stand together. <clears throat> well, I know that the screen says we're going to go to verse 36, but we're going to stop at verse 30. Somebody say amen. amen. Okay, you're like, does that mean it's shorter? No. No, I'm just kidding. Probably a little bit. The Bible says in verse 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing John also was baptizing at Ania near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Are we talking about John the Apostle? No, we're talking about John the Southern Baptist, right? John the Baptizer. <laughs> Bible says in verse 25, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification and they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and they didn't frame this as positive, and all are going to him. John answered, and these are our verses today to focus on, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Yeah. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, check this out. Therefore, this, this what? Circle it. Uh, highlight it. Underline it. It's what we're talking about today. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete, and let's read this together, verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. And Father, thank you for your word today, and uh, we do. God, we do know that we're living in a time where we need your joy. God, we need to walk in your joy. We can't allow uh, our joy to be predicated on outward circumstances, God, we can't allow our joy to be predicated on our inward performance. We need to be anchored. God, we need to be anchored to unchanging things. Father, today we invite you to just pour yourself out upon your people and lift every heart. God, lift every mind. You see right through the plastic smile that we sometimes plant on our face. You see our hearts, and we're thankful for that because you help us in our time of need. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. <clears throat> well, COVID-19, lockdowns, school closures, social isolation, relationship conflict, political divisions, economic struggle. Are you encouraged yet? Are you encouraged? Experts say that all of these things and more have led to an unprecedented rate of anxiety and depression in our society. 
In fact, new research from Boston University School of Public Health reveals that an elevated rate of depression has persisted since 2021 and even worsened, climbing to 32.8%. What that means is that one in every three American adults have experienced in the last two years or so some uh, depressive situation or some depressive episode. Um, And of course, there's a difference between clinical depression and feelings of being discouraged. And I'm not talking about the former today, I'm talking about the latter. Um, But I do think that we could all agree, and, and many have said this, you don't have to be an expert to understand this, there does seem to be a famine of positive feeling in our culture. With everything that's going on, with all of the adversity and turbulence and tumult in our society, um, how it has impacted us personally, there have been um, mental responses and feelings that we have had. And oftentimes I would say they're not on the positive side. More often than not, they can be on the negative side. And this has, in fact, led many to turn to drugs like fentanyl, uh, which, of course, fentanyl addiction is on the rise, or opioids. I was reading an article just the other day uh, that said depressed teenagers more than ever are turning to social media. Could you imagine turning to social media as if it's going to solve your problems? Um, And not just social media, but other forms of media just to get that dopamine hit that ultimately creates other physical and psychological addictions. Um, What is at the root of the problem? Well, listen, for the unbelieving person, we know that a lack of Christ in their life is the root of the problem. But I think socially, uh, we we could also say that we as a society have a problem with how we pursue joy. And and in fact, there is a big difference between how the non-Christian perceives and pursues joy and how the Christian perceives and pursues joy. Although I would say that, that even the Christian oftentimes opts for a secular definition of joy instead of a biblical definition. You know, it, just, just simply going to the dictionary And reading the dictionary's definition of joy kind of gives you a sense of what the problem is because Webster's Dictionary defines joy like this, a feeling of pleasure or happiness that comes from success, good fortune, or a sense of well-being. So that's their definition. And obviously, for those of you who are thinkers, you know where the problem's at already. That you can have, joy is for them this feeling of pleasure or happiness that comes from success, good fortune, or a sense of well-being. But of course we say to that, what happens when things don't go your way? What happens when you get hit by the storm? What happens when you're suffering loss in your life and there's overwhelming feeling uh, of grief and not just for a moment but for an extended period of time. No, the truth is this, the world, the world doesn't understand joy. And for the world, joy is a mystery, but it's not a mystery to God. I want to give you a biblical definition of joy today. I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago. Christian joy is a Holy Spirit-enabled response, number one, to the beauty of Christ, number two, to the blessing of His promises, and number three, to the fulfillment of his purpose, and, and the focus of all of those three things in our lives ultimately lifts the heart and soul of the Christian. Do you believe that today? Amen. Do you believe that today? I just, I just want you to notice what is uh, conspicuously missing from this definition. It's not rooted in, your joy is not rooted in your circumstances uh, that, that can rise and fall, that are like the, the tide, it, it ebbs and it recedes. You know, if your joy is rooted in those things, obviously your sense of your heart being lifted or your soul being lifted is going to be all circumstantially oriented. Um, Obviously, conspicuously missing is an inward focus. Biblical joy is not turning inward. It's not turning outward. It is looking upward. 
You say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, there is COVID and there were lockdowns and there was social distancing and there is conflict and there is political divisions and there's overwhelming economic turmoil, right? I mean, they may not want to say it, but we are in a, in a recession. What do I do with all of that? Because nothing out there is beautiful. I say, well, number one, you've got to look to the beauty of Christ because he is beautiful, right? He's beautiful beyond description. He's too marvelous for our words. He is the one thing, the one unchanging thing that is worthy of your focus and worthy of your attention. And not only that, he's blessed you with unchanging, immutable promises. The Bible says that the promises of God are yes and amen for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so look, you don't, you don't anchor yourself. How can you anchor yourself to temporary things that change every single day? You don't do that as a Christian. You anchor yourself to the unchanging promises of God, right? That's... Like, I'm giving you the whole message right now. We're going to just close in prayer in just a second. But, but that, that's why, that's why, that's why on, a, on a daily basis, man, you're not just tossed to and fro like, like a, a ship in the midst of a storm. There's something more secure that's anchoring you. And not only that, but you have the fulfillment, the fulfillment of his purpose in your life. There's something that you're living for that is bigger than you. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than, than the, the world around you and what's happening in the world around you. You say, well, well what is that thing? Well, we're going to get there in just a minute, so just hang tight, right? There was a situation here that John was placed in that could have tempted him to respond in the flesh. And this is kind of how the story goes. John, remember, was like, he was it. He was uh, the prophet. He was the best things since sliced bread, multitudes were flocking out to the Jordan to be baptized by John. There was a small uh, percentage, a small segment of the society that disdained him, and it was the religious leadership. By the way, when you're walking in the power of God's spirit, oftentimes it's the old, crusty, religious leaders that will have the problem with you because you don't fit in their box. That's a topic for another time. But... All of these multitudes were coming out to be baptized. Over the course of time, what happened was John's influence began to decrease. And there were more people that were going to Jesus to be, discipled, to be baptized by his disciples than were coming to John. And so John's presented with this situation. And it's, it's almost like, man, you, you can hear the temptation in it, right? Hey, John, you know, your, your influence is waning, Hey, John, you know, I mean, you, you really aren't in that place that you used to be. You used to be so well-respected and, and admired and loved, and everyone was flocking to hear your message. Um, God, uh, John, you know, it seems that the, the numbers aren't trending in the right direction. They're going in the other direction. I mean, there was every opportunity for, for John to have one of those moments where he said, man, what, what is happening? What's happening to my influence? What's happening to my, my ministry? What, what about me? And yet he responded in such an amazing way because his heart was anchored to three principles that produced joy in his life. His heart was anchored to three principles that produced joy in his life. You know, it would be easy for me every Sunday to get up here and for 20 minutes to just give you an inspirational message, you know, to give you a little Wonder Bread with some peanut butter on it and you guys could snack on it for a second and then send you on your way and... And you, you, you know, it's like, oh, it's always uplifting. You know, it's always happy. Life is always going to be amazing. I love going to church because when I'm there for a minute, it's like, pastor tells me there's never going to be a problem. You know, there's never going to be adversity. Well, listen. <laughs> Stephen said it right here. There will be. You know, that would hardly be honest of me, right? I would hardly be a, an honest pastor that was faithful in trying to mature you as a disciple of Christ. You know, if we just want a, a bunch of Christians who are 10 miles wide and one inch deep, well, you know what? You can, you can eat that Wonder Bread all day long, but you'll never grow. What, what, happens, what happens when there is extended times of adversity? What happens when you're dealing with chronic physical pain in your life and you have prayed and you have sought God and you have asked for him to relieve it from you, but that relief hasn't come? What happens when there's inner turmoil that, that you're struggling with? And you know, the thing is this, we can step into this room and we can put on a smile for a minute, but we all know what we're bearing on our hearts. We all know what we're bearing on our hearts. I'm saying today, how do you, how do you have joy in those moments? 
How do you have joy in those moments? This is not a word of faith, you know, church that preaches if you're really walking by faith, you'll never be sick, you'll never be poor, you'll never have struggles, because that's not what the New Testament says. Even those who love God and walk with him will go through trials. Jesus said himself, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world, right? So, so today, Today, I believe, as we look at John the baptizer's life, we see three solid, strong principles that can really anchor us in the midst of the storm. And I'm just going to say them to you now, and we'll go through them individually. Um, Number one is this. You've been blessed, and your blessings come from heaven. Number two, you need to know who you are in the grand scheme of things. And number three, you need to find your purpose in guiding people to Jesus. So let me reread this, verse 26. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. And John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Number one today, number one, if you are going through times of difficulty and adversity and they've lasted longer than a minute and you're struggling with having a heart and soul that's lifted up, I just want to remind you today, based on what John says, that you've been blessed and your blessings come from heaven. Number one, you have been blessed and your blessings come from heaven. I think as John chose to be heavenly minded, it guarded his heart from anxiety It guarded his heart from disappointment, and it guarded his heart from a fear of loss. I really, really respect his response here, you know, and I think it's a a verse that's worth highlighting and underlining. I love it in the English Standard version, Version. A person cannot receive even one thing, right? A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven, So I just want to say today, in the midst of your struggle, you need to remember that every single good thing that you have in your life, the big stuff and the tiny stuff, and everything in between has come to you from God, from the hand of God, right? I'll pause. I'll pause. Your authority, your influence, your ability, your beauty, uh, your, your business prowess, your intelligence, your family, your money, your lack of money, your ministry, your spiritual gifts, right? This was the, this was the place John lived in. John lived with a rec- recognition, a realization that God himself has strategically and intentionally and personally brought things into his life, and it helped him maintain the right perspective, You say, well, pastor, what's the right perspective? The right perspective is to live like this before God. That's the right perspective. The right perspective is not to focus on what we have, but what we've been given. And there's a big difference between those two things. Our hands remain open before God. It's not because we've been clawing and and striving and, and, you know, getting as much as we can for ourselves and then holding on to it as tightly as we could. You know, John could have done that. John could have been, hey, wait a minute, we'll get to this in a second, wait a minute, what about my ministry? What what about me? But John didn't live in that place, he lived in a place where his hands were open before the Lord. James said in 117, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So in Christ, listen, if you are in Christ, if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you belong to God. And the Bible says he has given to you, the Father has given to you because you're in Jesus, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You say, Pastor, I'm not really blessed today. Well, have you read your Bible lately? Have you read your Bible lately? Because, you know, when the Bible says that in Christ you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, I would say that's probably a lot. And it's just not the spiritual blessings, it is the temporary blessings here in this life as well. Hey, can I give you just something practical to exercise? Count your blessings. Count your blessings, you know? And I mean, I mean really, 
I mean really count your blessings because you know a little difficulty can obscure the beautiful things that God has placed in our lives. And, and I don't know if you have the tendency to do what I sometimes do, and I'm a problem solver, I'm a fixer, and so when difficulty comes, I, I can focus on it to an unhealthy place, and I can get so consumed with fixing the problem, pretty soon all I see is the problem. And then you know what? If your life is like my life, you don't just have one problem. You've got a multiple number of problems in your life. And so pretty soon your whole life is framed by all of these problems that you're trying to fix, and, and in, in, in all of that, you can forget the blessings that God has placed in your life. And you know when you forget the blessings, it just eliminates the joy, right? Take a minute, take some time, get a pen, get a piece of paper. And, or, you know, you could enter the 21st century and just use your phone, notes on your, on your iPhone, and just take, look, just take some time. And then I would say to you, think about it really thoroughly because there's probably more blessings in your life than you even can acknowledge. I love how he did not get caught up in this temptation, that he didn't say, you know what? That's right, what about me? You know what, you disciples, my buddies, you're right, man. What about me? What about my ministry? What about what God is supposed to be doing in my life? And you know that's the worst place for us to live when everything begins to orbit around ourselves again. And pretty soon, you know, we planted our flag and, and we could only see things through the framework of how it impacts and affects us. And the truth is that is a place of dysfunction and toxicity because you know what? You will bear that toxic attitude on the inside and it'll affect your friends, it'll affect your husband, it'll affect your wife, it'll affect your kids, um, it'll affect the people in your life group, it'll affect the people that you work with and pretty soon no one's gonna wanna spend time with you and that's a really bad thing. So, so this was what he chose. Instead of saying, what about me, he, he chose to say, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. This is working out as God has intended it to work out. My hands are open before the Lord, kind of like Job lived before God, and you know God had given to him and God had taken away, and this was what he said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Hey John, it's waning influence, it's limited voice, it's decrease in popularity, and he said, hey, no problem, I'm good. Peace out, homie. Second thing is this, I see in his life, know who you are in the grand scheme of things. Verse 28 says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. The second thing today, if you want to navigate through these turbulent times, if you want to live in a place where, where you're not pulled down by the adversity and negativity of what's happening in the world around us, you need to know who you are in the grand scheme of things. You need to know uh, where your place is, and you need to know who God has made you to be. And there's no doubt that John lived with that type of confidence and I think as he had this type of confidence, it guarded his heart from insecurity, from doubt, from loneliness on one side, right? Because if he wouldn't have known who he was and what his place was, he would have struggled with all of those things because they would have been unanswered questions for him, big life questions unanswered. And then on the other side of it, if he wouldn't have known who he was in his relationship with God and what his place was, he could have struggled with pride and arrogance and ego because he could have thought that everything was about himself. But the truth is he had a solid, of, he had a solid understanding of where he stood in the big picture. And so you say, well, where did John think he stood in the big pic picture? John saw himself as an influencer for Jesus. That's what John saw himself as. John saw himself as somebody who was an influencer for Jesus. You know, I think it's um, understandable if you don't have a relationship with God to struggle with doubt, to struggle with insecurity. You know, because the world is big and trying to find yourself and where you fit in the grand scheme of things from a worldly perspective without God in your life is so confusing. 
And you know, if you've raised kids, um, trying to guide them through these big life decisions can be challenging enough if they do have the Lord, but to not have God. I mean, I think about my life before I was a Christian, and it was just total confusion. Didn't know which way to go, didn't know what degree to select, had no real purpose, had no real aim, but when I put my trust and faith in Jesus Christ, like I've said to you before, everything was brought into orbit around Jesus Christ. Everything began to become clear. And that's what he does, is he's the center of your life. And he fills you with his promises, and you understand where you stand before him. As a believer, you're not striving or clawing or fighting. You don't live with disappointment um, and doubtfulness. You're not just resigned to existing. You know that at the end of the day, like John said, you are a friend of Jesus. And what better thing to say than that? You know, I was just looking up the word friend and, you know, went to the dictionary again. And I thought, this is just, it's, it's profound. It was profound to me anyway. Um, the dictionary, Webster's again, defines friend as a state of enduring affection, esteem, intimacy, and trust between two or more people. A state of enduring affection, esteem, intimacy, and trust between two or more people. Now, I say that to you today, and if you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, I can say to you that you are his friend. Isn't that an amazing thing to consider, right? I mean, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. In his second coming, he'll ride triumphantly on a white horse. A sword will proceed out of his mouth, and he is going to wipe out all the armies of the world that are gathered at the Valley of Armageddon. And then he'll ascend to the top of the Mount of Olives, and he'll come down into Jerusalem, and he'll set up his eternal throne there, and he will judge the nations. I mean, he is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. There's no one greater, no one mightier, no one more extraordinary. And I say all of that simply to say to you today, he is also your friend. There's this enduring state of affection in your relationship with him. There is this esteem and this intimacy and this mutual, and this needs description and definition, but this mutual trust where you put your trust and faith in him and his promise to you is this, I will never let you down. I will never let you down. Look, I don't know today where you see yourself in the grand scheme of things or how you picture your place, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are also his friend. John's picture is of a wedding ceremony. And he just kind of puts it like this. He's like, hey, you know what? Yeah, more people are going to him. And it seems like his ministry is on the rise. Um, And, you know, his numbers are going up and my numbers are going down. But it's okay because I'm just the best man. I'm just the best man and he's the groom. And, like, what wedding have you ever gone to where the best man is the focal point of the wedding? Right? I mean, I was doing a wedding on Friday. Uh, We went to California. Total, like, organic uh, hippie-style wedding on the beach. It was just killer. The most unstructured wedding I've ever been a part of, and I liked it a lot. <laughs> Let me tell you how unstructured it was. I was wearing my suit and Birkenstocks. Okay? That's how unstructured it was. But I'll tell you, like, I mean, as I'm officiating this wedding c- ceremony, and I've got the, br- the groom on this side and the bride on this side and the best man over there, no one cared about the best man. Like, no one's focus was on the best man. Now, could you imagine if the best man's like, hey, this is my moment. And, and then he came up and he pushed the groom out of the way. And he's like, hey, guys, here I am. And I need a little more attention on myself. And really, this moment's about me. Like, if that would have happened on Friday, I would have slapped him. That's, that, that, he would have got a biblical stat, slap right there at that organic hippie wedding. But obviously, that's not, that's not the way that it rolls. John understood what his place was. His place was not to be the center of focus. His place was not to steal the show. His place was not to have all of the attention drawn to himself. This was not his opportunity. This was not his moment. This was the Lord's moment. And he was satisfied with all the attention being drawn to Jesus. I think And this is a topic for another time, but I think in today's Christian culture, 
Uh, it would be good for some pastors and Christian artists to be reminded that it's not about them, it's about the Lord. Yeah. All of that to say to you guys today is we're anchoring ourselves to principles that will produce joy in our life. God's promises deal with your identity issues. God's promises deal with your identity issues. Jesus said in John 15, 15, he said, no longer do I call, that should say 15 on there, by the way. Um, John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. So listen, big promises today. You're not just a friend, but you're the bride of Christ. And you're not just the bride of Christ, but you're loved by God. And you're not just loved by God, but you're his son or you're his daughter. Today, you know, you may feel like you're like, you know, you're just all alone. You're this solitary ship out on the water and there's no one around you and there's no one who loves you and there's no one who cares for you and all your friends have abandoned you. And I say, no, you have a friend in Jesus. You today are not alone. You're not alone. You're loved by God. He has a plan for your life. He's said himself, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God will not abandon you. Your circumstances will change in this life. There will be rise and there will be fall. There will be strength and there will be weakness. There will be times where you are treasured and adored, and there may be times where you are abandoned and despised, but he will never abandon you, and he will never despise you. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What can separate us from the love of God? Paul goes on to say there is nothing, no principality, no power, no height, nor death, nothing that's been made can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's where you anchor yourself. That's where you anchor yourself. You go, you know you got your, you have your stock market app showing you how high the Dow is going and how low it's going. And you know your emotional uh, disposition during the day is based on your finances. And you need to probably shut your phone off and delete that app and start reading some of the promises of God. Because who, who you are is more than what you own, right? Who you are is more than what you own. Lock yourself into the promises of God. The third thing is this, find your purpose in guiding people to Jesus. I just want to reread verse 29 and 30. The Bible says, the one who is the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. So based on our definition that we see in John's life, he has anchored himself. He has anchored himself to the promises of God. He has anchored himself to the blessings that God has brought into his life. And then the third thing that we see here that caused him to be steady and faithful, that caused him to be able to rise above the potential discouragement of the moment, uh, the third thing we see is that he found his purpose in guiding people to Jesus. This guarded, I believe, John's heart from frustration and confusion and feelings of emptiness. It guarded his heart from living his life with meaninglessness. I think it guarded his heart from the temptation to isolate, which sometimes is how we respond to difficult circumstances and challenges in our life. John knew joy was not about his opportunities, it was about Christ's ascendancy. John knew that joy was not about his opportunities because, you know, sometimes this is what we do in our lives. We, we see things, we, you know, we may cloak things in religious jargon and say it's really all about the Lord, but the truth is sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes the motivation of our hearts aren't as pure as we think they are. You know, we're quick to pinpoint other people's unholy motivations, and we're really quick to conceal our own. And you know what God will do? God will allow you, he'll allow you that time on the top of the mountain. God will give it to you. God will give you those moments where it's going good, right? It's all happening 
all cylinders are firing, things couldn't be better, but I want to tell you that's not where you discover your motivations. You don't discover your real motivations on top of the mountain, you discover them in the depth of the valley. And you know, God, God, <laughs> you're like, I ain't clapping for that, Pastor. And you know, you'll be up on the mountain, and, and pretty soon, if we're, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, it's like, we start to believe our own press. It's like, I, I guess I am, pretty, I am, I am all that. I, I am pretty good. I do have it all together. I, I am pretty awesome. You know, you forget that everything that you have has come from the hand of God himself, right? And, and you start to think, and you're like, well, no, pastor, I went to school, and I learned it, and I went to the trade, and I learned it. Well, who gave you your brain? right? Who gave you your lungs to breathe? Who has called, caused all those involuntary functions within you to continue? I'll tell you who it is. It's God, because if he wanted you to stop breathing, he could do it like that. No, everything that you have, and sometimes on the mountaintop, you know what happens if, if we allow those unholy motivations to fester. We start looking inward, and we start self-exalting, and God will say, you know what? It's valley time. It's valley time. You know, it's valley time, not because I want to hurt you, but because I want to help you. It's, it's valley time, not because my plans for you are bad, but because they're good. And if I don't get to this, right, if I don't get to this corrupt desire, if I let you live in a situation where this just continues to fester, it'll, it'll be to your own demise. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to lead you into a time of decline, and I know this is like, you're like, can you say that in church? Isn't church always supposed to be about my life inclining and me being blessed and everything that I, that I do, it prospers? Well, listen, welcome to reality. And, and welcome to the good plan of God in your life because God loves you more, God loves, God loves you more for what he does in you than what he does through you, right? God loves you more for what he's doing in you than what he's doing through you. And sometimes we're all about the through because the truth is it's all about us. And then God's like, no, I'm gonna get to what really matters because my purpose is that you look like my son Jesus. That's the real purpose here, is that you look like my son. And so, you know, like the silversmith, the silversmith will take the silver and he'll put it in a, the cauldron and he'll heat it up and the dross, the impurities, they flow to the top and he takes this long uh, tool and he scrapes the dross off, he scrapes those impurities off, he lets it cool, he heats it up, he scrapes the impurities off again and he does this over and over and over again until he can look into the silver and see his own reflection. And that's, that's what adversity and difficulty in our life, as God is the one who is behind it and he's using it that's what he is doing on the inside he takes us down into the valley so he can purify our hearts so that we can really join him in the mission that matters and what is the mission that matters the mission that matters is seeing jesus increased in our life this is what john says and i think he says it i think he says it happily and joyfully he must increase he must be greater in honor. He must be greater in focus. He must grow to the extreme limit is how that word is defined. That's what has to happen. John believed that, and I think we need to believe that too. Our purpose is for Christ to increase, for people to be influenced to love and to follow Jesus. Whether we are on the incline in our life or whether we might be going down into the valley, even as John was on the decline, there was this sense of beauty that he had as he looked at the Lord. I, you know, I don't know what this moment necessarily looked like, but, but I don't think he was like all bitter and angry. And he's like, yeah, you know what? You, you know, you're right. This does really suck. But you know, he needs to increase and I need to decrease. And that's just, that's just the way it goes. I don't know if it was like that. Um, I don't know if it was a, a fake facade you know, and, and it was like it, just this externalism of, of joy, you know. Well, I know it wasn't that. It wasn't the first one. It wasn't the second one. The second one, by the way, is really easy. You know, we can come into a gathering like this, and we can put on a plastic smile, and we can act like everything's okay. And don't get me wrong today. I'm not saying that when we see each other, we just need to, like, back up the dump truck. Beep, 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 beep. 
thanks for asking because here it is all on you Sunday morning. You're like, man, I'm not sitting next to that person again. That's just, geez, go, go dump on somebody else. But I am saying to you, it's easy sometimes for us just to put on the facade, right? To put on the facade for a minute. And, you know, we probably got the discipline and the willpower to, to put that facade on for a short period of time. But, but when God allows the adversity to extend, when, when, the, when the difficulty is stretched out, it becomes harder and harder for us to live with that facade in our life. And I just want to say to you guys, that place of authenticity is so pleasing to God. It's so pleasing to God. Like in the right context where you can just sincerely and honestly, first and foremost, be yourself before God. Don't play games. God, doesn't, God does not need the horse and pony show, all right? God needs your authenticity. God doesn't need it. He wants your authenticity. But in our relationships, in the right context, to just sincerely be able to say to somebody, you know what, I've really, really been struggling, and I can't keep up this facade any longer. I need to share a burden. The Bible says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. No, I think that there was just this real sense of joy in John's life as he was beholding the beauty of Jesus. And he says it like this. He says, he says that it is the friend of the bridegroom that rejoices to hear the voice of the bridegroom. You know, as he was hearing Jesus speak and he was watching Jesus' disciples baptize, he was pleased because nothing was more beautiful to him than to see the Lord at work. That's what God needs to hear from us. You know, we don't need to tell people it was our idea or talk about how great our message was or the song that we wrote or the sale that we made or the win on the stock market because we were so smart or the house that we sold. People need to know about the Lord Jesus and what he is doing in our lives. And then, and then to see them influenced to love and to follow him, that's really what matters in life. What happens when your 15 minutes of fame is over, when your looks begin to fade, when you're not at the top of your industry, when you're not ranked number one, when your social media takes a hit, when you gain a few pounds, when you're not everyone's favorite anymore, what happens in those moments? Because those moments come, and I would say to you, if you're leading people to Jesus, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter because you know that people are falling in love with him. Today, I just want to be really honest with you guys. The easy path is for us just to get ang angry and bitter and frustrated and disappointed and discouraged. And so I want to strongly exhort you, make the choice to rejoice. Make the choice to rejoice. Joy is a choice you make in life. And, and the word that's used biblically is rejoice. When you rejoice, you are choosing joy over anger and frustration and disappointment over the turmoil that you see on the outside in the world and even on the inside in your own heart. You need to choose joy even and especially when you don't want to. And sometimes we don't want to, right? But it's in those moments we say, you know, God, I'm going to anchor myself. I'm anchoring myself to the beauty of Jesus. I'm going to get my eyes off of the news and all the chaos around me, and I'm just going to get caught up in the beauty of my Savior. I'm going to anchor myself to your promises. I know who I am. I know who I am in you. I'm loved. I'm, I'm the bride of Christ. I'm a friend to Jesus. And I'm going to take up the mantle of purpose in my life. It's not about my opportunity and my website and, 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 and me, me, me all the time. It's about you, and it's about you increasing. And when you choose to anchor yourself to those three things, what you're going to experience is a Holy Spirit-enabled response that is going to lift up your heart and your soul. The psalmist said this, and I just want to close because it's really good. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Let's pray. And Lord, I, I pray today, God, knowing 
knowing today that in this room and for those watching online, that there's just a lot that people are bearing on their hearts. And it does us no good to pretend like it's not there. And so, so today we bring it out into the light. Today before you in prayer, we choose authenticity. Today we hold up our need to you and we ask Heavenly Father, please. We've come to meet you today. We've come to be ministered to by you today. We've come with huge need. Oh God, huge need. Some of us may be so discouraged, we just, not only was it hard to get here today, it was, it has been hard to get out of bed. It has been hard to breathe another breath. The path just seems so dark. Lord, today you're present and, and you love and you're compassionate. There's not a heart in this room that you don't care about. And as you're tugging and revealing and speaking, may we be responding today, turning our hearts to the beautiful one, anchoring ourselves to your promises, acknowledging unholy motivations in our lives, and just learning to live so that Christ is on the increase. We confess it's not easy, but we want to grow in it. Today, as we're just in this attitude of prayer, first and foremost, maybe today you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus, and, and you know you, you've been living with this emptiness, and, and you've been living in this insecurity and confusion and on the one hand maybe that's you today and maybe on the other hand you know you have been living on the mountain and and you have you have quote unquote everything but you're still empty today i want to say to you that the answer in both of those cases is Jesus. You need the Lord. You need him in your life. You need him to be your center. You need him to fill that void. You need to take a step of faith and trust in the sacrifice that he made on the cross and his resurrection so that you can not only become a child of God, but you can become his friend. And so today, as our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed this morning, if this is you, you need to take a step of faith and trust in Christ. You'll never be fulfilled or satisfied in this life without it, and you won't know everlasting life without it, without Him. This morning, if this is you, and you need to choose to trust in Jesus, you need to leave this place with the assurance that you belong to God, I want to pray for you today. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now. Just stretch your hand up high. Let me see who you are. You'd say, Pastor, that is me. God bless you. Thank you. Here in the center. Over here on my right, I see your hand. I see your hand as well. Thank you for raising your hands today. With that also, maybe today, you know, you, there, you've got a lot that you're bearing. And maybe no one else knows it, maybe other people do know it, but you just need a, a fresh work of God's Spirit. You need, you need a burden to be lifted. You need renewed joy. You need a, a life that's filled with hope again. And, and you need God to do something right here and right now. 
And so this morning, if this is you, I want to pray for you too. I'm just going to ask you, raise your hand today. Raise your hand. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Stretch your hand up high. I want to have an opportunity today where we can take the burdens that you've been carrying and place them at the feet of Christ and, and to let him do something special in your heart and in your life. Stretch your hand up high. Don't be ashamed or afraid today. Thank you. Thank you. You've been carrying this a long time. I see your hand. And today he needs, he needs to carry it. Anybody else? Thank you. All right, you can put your hands down. I'm going to have you guys just stand up. I'm going to, I'm going to lead us in a prayer this morning. Go ahead and stand. And uh, today, if you're putting your trust in two prayers today, today, if you're putting your trust and faith in Christ, I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer that is going to begin your relationship with God. So right where you're standing today, go ahead and follow me in this prayer. Father, today... I give you my life. Today I'm choosing to believe. I believe in Jesus, your son. And I receive him. And his forgiveness, his grace, and his compassion. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And today I want to pray for those of you just who are, are bearing a burden today. We're going to ask God to just fill this place and fill your heart and, and lift you up and, and enable you to anchor yourself to these three principles that will produce joy in your life. And Father, I do pray today, God, that you would be merciful and gracious. God, that you would cause your power to be demonstrated in every one of these lives. God, I don't even... It would be wrong for me to say today, God, that I know how you're going to answer these prayers. But God, I know that you will. I know it will be personal. I know it will be powerful. I know it will be exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. God, I know today is a, a new beginning. God, today is a, a day of strengthening. Today is a day of empowering. God, today is a day of revelation that you've given. And so, Father, today may all of these burdens that have been borne over so long a time be placed at the feet of Jesus. May the burden be replaced with a blessing. God, may the pain be replaced with power. God, may it be your greatness and your goodness that would be on display through each of these lives May Christ be on the increase. We pray that in the valley, that it would be your rod and your staff that would comfort these hearts and that they would know that they will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, may you lift your people up today and may you grant that lifting, staying power. God, it would, it would last longer than a moment or a day. But God, you would build upon it over a lifetime. We love you, God. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.